to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano, and I play Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. The assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our new YouTube channel. And we love spending time with you every Tuesday, but going forward, new episodes of the pod will be released on a bit more of a relaxed schedule. But don't worry, we're still going Mm -hmm. to recap all of your favorite episodes and chat with amazing guests. And answer your questions. So email us what you want to know at clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com today. We are talking about season three, episode nine, Game of the Week. It was written by David Hedgens and directed by Michael Waxman, both friends of the pod. Here is our NBC synopsis. All eyes are on Dylan when the Panthers' playoff game is chosen as the nationally televised high school game of the week. Meanwhile, Tyra finds herself in a desperate situation. And we have an awesome guest with us today, Libby Valari, who plays Mayor Lucy Riddell. But before we chat with Libby, we're going to discuss this episode's highlights. I don't want you to feel bad. This is how all men handle it when I break up with them. Uh, They all end up a drunken mess in a bikini. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then with my favorite, the playing card attached to your sweaty back. I love that. Yeah, I actually remember this pretty well because I called Michael Waxman on the phone because I had gone in for a wardrobe fitting and they had me in a pair of boxers in that scene originally. And I called Waxman and I said, hey, here's the deal, man. I think Billy's feeling pretty good about himself because he's been having sex regularly and he's feeling like some machismo in the bedroom. So yeah, I think he's probably wearing something a little more skimpy. And Waxman says, how skimpy? And I said, well, you know, I mean, like maybe bikinis, banana hammock style. He's feeling good about himself. And I think Comedically, it's kind of perfect. So he agreed to let me wear uh, bikini underwear for this. I bet they had to run that by NBC first, which makes me giggle. Possibly. Who knows? And then the playing card thing, there just happened to be some playing cards laying out. And I was like, what if one of them just stuck to my back? It's so funny. Especially when he's having this moment where he's really upset about Mindy being mm. caught. And it completely and totally downplays all that as he walks off and he's got a playing card stuck to his lower back. A good old sight gag to leave the scene on. I love. You know I like that. Thank you, Stace. Thanks for noticing my playing card. It makes me happy. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> okay, so Buddy says to the team, the TV people called. <laughs> like, that's a thing that people say? Who are the TV people? I don't think I've ever heard anyone use the expression, the TV people, but The yes. TV people called. Yes. And so they got picked for whatever game of the week. I have never seen a high school game on national television. Believe it or not, it actually exists. Now, it probably wouldn't exist on NBC, but yeah. it will be on ESPN. Oh, that I get. But ESPN will play like Friday night. They'll have the best team from Texas playing the best team from California. And my dad's called me before. He's like, hey, you watch in this uh, Miami so-and-so, you know, Central High School versus blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. No. It's Friday. I'm not watching high school football. I find that very weird. It is weird. It is weird. But a lot of times they'll do when it's some high school that's got some like amazing pedigree. And Dylan is one of those high schools. They've won multiple state championships and they've got guys that are potentially going to go off and play division one football at a really high level. Here's the problem for me. Now I'm just sitting by my phone waiting for my agent to call and say the TV people called. (laughs) And you have a job. Yeah, that's what I need too. Okay. It seems 
like life on the rodeo road is not fun. And also Tyra should be in school. How come these kids don't get in trouble for all of the school that they miss? This whole thing with her drives me nuts, and I'll talk about it more later. But yeah, I feel like a parent watching this show sometimes. Like, what are you doing? Oh, just an FYI, the guy that Cash is having an argument with in this scene is Mm -hmm. stunt coordinator Jeff Schwann, who is a legend in the Texas film community and was the stunt coordinator on multiple episodes of Friday Night Lights. And so, yeah, that's a cool little moment in that scene. But Cash is not a cool moment. No, Cash is not a cool moment. But I told you from the beginning, look at who his friends are. You had to have expected this kind of behavior from this guy. It is kind of your fault if you think about it. It's totally my fault. 100% my fault. It's just like Tim left to go to Mexico. He also left to go to New York. That's a lot of missed school. And now Tyra's been gone for a week. We would be kicked out. Don't worry about it. Don't I worry know, don't worry about it. The TV people <laughs> called and said it was fine. Don't the TV people it. called and said, don't worry about it. Exactly. God. I do find it very sweet that Matt's mother made even just the gesture or the offer to stay and take care of grandma if Matt went away to school. That's not her mom. She yeah. doesn't have to do that. It's like a grand gesture. It is a grand gesture. And this is an amazing scene, I thought. I mean, Louie and Stevens, I know I've talked about it a million times. She's a friggin' boss. She's so good. She crushes that scene. We haven't seen this side of Grandma Sarah's. They can be a little vindictive and mean-spirited. It was just a really well-played scene by Luann. It's the first time, though, that I've ever been like, hey, I don't know if I like this side of Grandma Sarah's. It's a sign of dementia, too, though. It's one of the stages that you go through, so it's nice that we're like watching it play out in levels and stages, but she is so good at it. Yeah, I mean, it was venomous, you know? Just coming from a place of fear. Yeah, so well-played. You, in fact did not name your firstborn Tim like you promised your brother in this scene together (laughs) where I have to say, I think this is a hard thing. You play drunk very well. Thank you very much. I'll take that as a compliment. No, it is because here's the thing that as actors that we learn when you have to play someone who's drunk, the thing that you do when you're drunk is you're actually trying to play sober. Actually, like when you're in public, if you're doing a crying scene, when you're actually crying in public, you're trying not to cry. So it's those yeah. levels of things we do as actors to make it look realistic. I believed you. Well, thank you, Stace. That's a great compliment. Yeah, playing drunk is difficult. Every time I think about this scene, I remember that Billy says, I'm going to name my firstborn 10. And of course we didn't. We named our firstborn Stevie Stevie Hannibal Riggins. (laughs) But this whole entire scene in general, I just wanted to say thank you to Michael Waxman, who directed this episode, for letting the three of us kind of play in this scene. It was a lot of improv in this one. From Kitsch saying, Riggins putting on his game face face, as he was splashing water on himself. He was like giggling in that scene, but giggling like he had a few. Already, Mm -hmm. I really love the way that Minka Kelly played this moment where she gets up in Billy's face because it really helped me in that scene. And I don't believe that a lot of that stuff was scripted. I mean, she's supposed to kind of get on Billy for being drunk. But the way that she kind of got up in Billy's face, it helped. And it was something that I wanted to show in this scene. I think that a lot of times on Friday Night Lights, we kind of laugh and giggle because the Riggins brothers are drunk and acting like buffoons or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there is some fun stuff that goes along with drinking, of course. But then I wanted to show a little bit of this ugly side of alcoholism. And I just wanted to thank Michael Waxman and Minka Kelly for playing along with me in that moment and let me have that moment. Do you know what I noticed in this episode? A thing that drives me crazy in movies and TV shows is people are talking to each other on the phone and then they just hang up and they don't say goodbye. Oh, that drives me nuts. It drives me absolutely crazy. 
Or like when you open up a screen and somebody's texting somebody and there's no texts above it. Like you, yeah. you've never texted your best friend before. That's weird. <laughs> you know who doesn't say goodbye in real life? Joey Oglesby. He just hangs up? Guy Raston just hangs up the phone. Mm-mm. They'd be like, hey, man, what are you up to tonight? And you're like, uh, I think Steve and I may wind up going up to the Belmont and having mm-hmm. some dinner. Joey? Hey, Joey. <laughs> he got the information he needed. Yeah, he got the information he needed and he just hangs up the phone. Who does that? No, no, I yeah. need the closure. I need a goodbye, goodbye. Yeah. Okay, this conversation is done. And there was a scene where that happened on our show and it made me really happy going there forward. We go. Good. In that parking lot, you barely see it, but there's a Camaro that I'm walking to and that is Mindy's car. It's the only time we see it. It is actually in front of the house when you pull up later, but it was never in shot of the camera. The only time. You know what, Stacy? I did see it and I liked it. I love that car. My fourth grade teacher was named Miss Becker mm-hmm. and she was really, really hot. And she had a Camaro and mm-hmm. I always thought, oh, she's so hot. She's so cool. I hope she's listening to this right And now. one day I wrecked my bike on the way to school and oh, Miss no. Becker was driving by and she saw me and she's like, Derek, are you okay? And I was bleeding and she was like, get in the car. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I made it. I made it. Miss Becker and I, one-on-one. <laughs> I never got to get in the car. I never got to drive the car. But Did you never get car. to drive it? Nope. Oh, that's terrible. I don't even think I got inside of it. Oh, but that's, here that's... we go again with another FNL odd pairing. It's Mindy Collette and Lila Garrity. What? And I love this. It's a really short scene, but I love this pairing. Why haven't these two been together? We've got the prim and proper Lila Garrity with stripper with the heart of gold, Mindy. It's kind of perfect. I love it. It is good. It was fun. I had a vision during this halftime of our game that this has to also be happening in the other locker room. So I was thinking of the Arnett Mead locker room and their coach giving them a pep talk as well. And I bet it was nowhere near as good as ours. Yeah. Can you imagine? You think the Arnett Mead coach is an Emmy award-winning actor? Not a chance. I don't know. I wonder if we've ever established who the coach of Arnett Mead was, because I'd have to go back and look. Who's going to give a better halftime speech than Kyle Chandler? I don't know, but I want to see it. I've never actually seen in real life at, like, we didn't get half, like, you don't get that in swimming. Like, I don't know what that's like. We had some pretty intense ones when I was in high school. I remember specifically. We were getting our butts kicked by this team that we really had no business losing to, and he came in with a baseball bat and started hitting the Mm -hmm. lockers. Sure. And just losing it. And I remember specifically, he said at one point, he goes, you guys are out there jerking off. Now get it together. Mm -hmm. And he left the locker room and there was just dead silence. My buddy, Jim, he was like the team captain. And he goes, I want to know right now, which one of you was jerking off? Shut up. And everyone started giggling. We went back out there and actually won the game. But yeah. Okay. I love Matt's mom and grandma getting so excited that their boys may be about to play on the TV. They giggle and get excited together and go to the game. Me too. You know, I totally forgot about this whole entire scene and this whole entire moment. And I kind of love going back and having this rewatch because of that, because it reminds me of these wonderful scenes. I mean, the two of them getting excited and the two of them actually going to the game and the idea that this winds up being the thing that kind of brings them together. I literally was about to cry when they show up at the football game and they're both kind of hugging and jumping up and down. I love those moments. I will say that my dad and I, when we were growing up, I was a typical high school kid and rebelled and blah, 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 blah. And there were years where really the the only thing my dad and I had in common was football. And that mm-hmm. was the only thing that we would talk about. It reminded me of that. So maybe I had my own thing going on there, but maybe. it was just a, a lovely moment. And I got to say, Tyra, girl, you in trouble. Leave now. You should have left days ago. But we're just seeing the volatility of cash 
up and up and up and up and up and it is only going to go yeah. someplace terribly bad that scene where he's playing poker and she's off in the corner by herself and then we're seeing that this guy's got some definite anger problems and he's gambling yeah, he pushes her down and says i didn't tell you to leave yeah 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 all of it when she calls tammy I'm like, get the hell out of there. But watching this scene with Coach and Tammy and Coach's reaction to having to leave this swanky hotel to go rescue Tyra, it's just priceless. He put in so much work. Yeah. He knows by listening to Tammy's conversation that they're going to have to drive to Dallas. And the expression on his face, the moment that Kyle Chandler has here as an actor, tells the whole story because there's that part of him that's like, please tell me that we don't have to leave. There's the frustration and the anger of right. having to leave, but also the acceptance and the knowledge that they have to go help and he plays 15 different emotions in one fell swoop. And it's mm -hmm. such a difficult thing. It's made so simple by the way he plays it. But I'm telling you right now, as an actor, it's not. I think most actors would just play the anger of having to leave. But he plays the, the frustration and the it's just all brilliant. It's all of it. Really. It's all there right on his face. Yeah. Look. It's me. I'm dancing again. Uh, Mindy's always, well, you're a dancer. That's what no, you do. I do. Listen, I dance at the club. Yeah. I dance with you. I dance with Lila. And then I went on to a show called Bunheads. It was all about ballet. Like, holy mother. <laughs> I love it. I can't sing. And I feel like I'm constantly having to sing and stuff. When did you sing and stuff? I had to sing in Glass Menagerie, playing the gentleman caller. And I had to sing like one line of verse from the Pirates of Penzance, if you remember mm -hmm. correctly. And yeah, I was so uncomfortable with it. And I remember we had like a talkback session afterwards with the audience. And one of the audience members goes, I'm a professional opera singer. And I was wondering if you're a singer because you have a lovely voice. Uh, and the director looked at me and he was like, see, I told And I was like, oh, come on. Because I was so insecure about it the whole entire time. I love this scene with you and Lila. So fun. The two of you together, it just cracks me up. I mean, you have one of my favorite lines from the series when you say no more Billy in my chili. It still cracks me up to this day. I hated it. I hated it. It's not a great line, but your delivery on it's great. It is the most quoted back to me line, though. So the writers got it right. I oh, hated I did not know it. that. It's that one. And like, there's a fox in my hen house or something. Yes. Becky's later. Those are the two that get yes. quoted back to me the most. Okay, so story about this day. I think it's public knowledge. When we were shooting this, Minka at the time was dating Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter came to this. set with us. He was on set with us that day. And like, by the way, just went around, met all of the crew people, learned all of their names. He's ridiculously charming. Minka's like, Stacey, come into my trailer for a second. So I go into Minka's trailer. Derek Jeter's just sitting on the couch. And she's like, I don't know how to dance. I don't understand what we do in this scene. Will you show me like what we're going to do? And so inside Minka's trailer, essentially I, and then she, we were twerking in front of Derek Jeter and looking back like one of the more surreal moments of my life. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy day because I remember our crew, these are all guys that have worked for years and years and years in the film and television business. They've worked with everyone. Nobody's ever gaga on a set over anybody. But like mm -hmm. crew guys were like, you guys see Derek Jeter's over there. Derek Jeter's over there. And I'm like, really? Guys, come on. Some of them, Tony couldn't even talk. Yeah. He was yeah. so excited. And I get it. I mean, because I'm still, to this day, one of these guys that like ball players still kind of make me, you know, I become a little kid again. It was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. I do remember we were shooting a scene at you guys' house mm -hmm. and Jeter was there mm -hmm. and he was sitting in my chair in between takes and I walked off camera and I was like, hey, sitting in my chair. And he goes, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm kidding, please. But like totally joking with him. And I was like, I made Derek Jeter uncomfortable. Oh, well, I probably did while I twerked in front of him in a 
small room. Also, I would call this your second Brando moment. Yeah, this was really fun. I got to, Stacy let me, and Michael Waxman let me kind of basically play my streetcar named Desire moment. I got to have my Marlon Brando famous moment where he's screaming, Stella, when he plays Stanley Kowalski. Stella! Got to do the comedic version of it. It's always she runs down the stairs. She's pregnant. Mm -hmm. He's on his knees, hugging her belly. And I was like, absolutely, let's do this. I'm in. (laughs) Costello's my dream role. And this will probably be the only time I'll get to play it. This is as close (laughs) as I'm getting a Stanley in my life. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Thank you for letting me play that. Okay, so very end wrap up, such high anxiety. Coach and Tammy make it there in the nick of time in what we're calling TV show anxiety time. 100%. And I mean, it's Friday Night Lights doing it again. I just sat there going, damn it, Friday Night Lights. They make me care so much about these characters that I get frustrated with them when they're screwing up. When I said earlier, I feel like these are like my children. Mm -hmm. I feel that way about Tyra. There's a sense of like, I want to protect her and I want to keep her safe and I don't, and I want good things to happen for her. And when they screw up like this, it just, oh, it's like, why would you go to Dallas with this guy? What are you thinking? But also I get the first signs of violence and all these red flags too. It's like, oh, babe. You want to scream at them, but at the Mm. same time, you're just happy that they're safe. And when she gets in the car with Coach and Tammy, it's like, I'm just glad she's safe. I can imagine Tammy saying, get it together, girl. Obviously, Tammy's not going to do that on the drive back. But like, I want so badly for good things to happen for all these characters. And when they start screwing up and preventing that from happening. It frustrates Mm -hmm. me. Obviously, the person to be upset with in this whole situation is Cash or Billy for introducing her to Cash. Wow. But also Coach had a moment. I kind of love the timing that they got there because Coach got to see how dire the situation was and he really did need to be there because Cash put his hands on him and he was going to do it to Tyre. So like champagne and chocolate strawberries in the car be as it is. Like they did the right thing with his 18 emotions. A lot of chocolate strawberries in the world of Dillon, Texas. True. We're nine episodes into season three, and I'm feeling like this is probably my favorite season of Friday Night Lights so far. It's mine so far, but I don't know four and five. Four and five are good too. There's a lot of action, man. I have a lot of feelings. Yeah, me too. I think that's the thing. It's just, it's concise. I think these shorter seasons, that 13 episode season kind of gives the writers the opportunity to just give us nothing but the meat, you know? Mm -hmm. No salad, no vegetables, just meat. It's just meat every episode. And I'm digging it. I think that might be the end of our rewatch portion of the show. What do you think, Stace? I think so. We got Libby Villari, a.k.a. Mayor Lucy Riddell, coming on the show next. So stick around. So we are thrilled to have Libby Villari, a.k.a. Mayor Lucy Riddell, on the show with us today. Libby has had a long and illustrious career starring in such films and TV shows as What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Flesh and Bone, Walker, Texas Ranger, The King, The Faculty, Boys Don't Cry, Dr. T and the Women, Serving Sarah, The Beautiful Country, Infamous, Chase, Grey's Anatomy, and one of my all-time favorites, the 2015 Best Picture nominee and Oscar-winning film, Boyhood, starring Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette, and directed by the incomparable Richard Linklater. Libby, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. So let me ask you this question. You're from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, originally? Long time ago, yeah. Long time Uh ago, okay. Uh How did you become an actress? Oh, Lord. Well, (laughs) I'm from very, very rural North Carolina, very Uh rural. I was born in Winston-Salem, but 
we lived all over North Carolina. My dad was a gambler, pretty bad gambler at that. And so we moved a lot in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so my mom finally left him. I turned 11 on the train. We thought we were going out to California to see my grandparents for Thanksgiving, but she was actually hauling all four kids, you know, 2,000 miles away from this mean man. So I ended up in Los Angeles and I did not become an actor there. I had no idea I was going to be an actor. We moved to Texas, my first husband and I, and my son, who was six at the time, I guess. We moved to Texas because we were part of the hippie movement, Back to the Land. All of our friends were going to Oregon. And of course, we were planning to go to Oregon, too. And then one of our friends, who was very close to us, had moved to Fort Worth. And they said, come here. There are jobs here. And there's incredibly cheap land. And we said, okay, hell yeah. So we moved to Texas. And I had always wanted to go to college, but I couldn't because I had to work. So I had this opportunity and I went to Weatherford Junior College. I won the best speech student award there in my second year there. That gave me an opportunity to audition for a theater scholarship at North Texas State. I'd never done theater. I think I'd maybe seen one play in my entire life. I was 28. Wow. And I, so I went, okay, yeah, let's do that. And so it was a, an audition for Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, I didn't know the play. I knew nothing about it. But I read for Blanche, and I got the scholarship. And I said, oh well, you know, I don't care who pays for me. I mean, I don't care what I have to major in to get a free ride on to college. I wanted to be a political journalist. But anyway, I ended up being an actor by default. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, I know, right? I graduated when I was 29. My second play was Lenny with your dad, Mark. Oh, my God. At Stage West. Yeah. And a, an agent came to see the show and assigned me and the rest is history. Isn't that a crazy story? That's how that I'm is. Saying. That's a crazy journey. Like, I knew that you didn't start in this business until later, but I didn't know right, that, that yeah. was the reason why. Yeah, that it was sort of just placed in your lap. And oh, guess what? You're actually really good at it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was, well, it was a divine intervention, I'm pretty sure. Right. Well, I think uh, it finds you eventually. You know what I mean? I think it mm -hmm. finds all of us. I was going to say, like, when you were talking about potentially winding up in Oregon at one point in time, I was like, oh, you probably would have ended up at Oregon Shakespeare Festival then. Maybe. If I hadn't taken that Earl and Turk class, yeah. who knows? They didn't have theater. Now they do at Weatherford College. I ran into the guy who taught that class. He had just gotten his teacher's license. Then he taught in Waco. Do you know Jim Rambo? Yes. Are that you was serious? him. That was You're him. kidding me. Jim Rambo directed me in The Fantastics when I was in college. They did a production of The Fantastics that was a professional gig because they were doing it at Waco Civic Theater and it was the <clears throat> choreographer from Baylor who was doing the dance choreography for it. But it was all professional actors and they wanted a younger guy to play Mortimer. And they brought me in because they thought that I could play it, that I might be funny. And I wound up doing this. I have a letter from Jim Rambo to this day because I did a production of Hamlet shortly after that where I played Hamlet. Uh -huh. Jim Rambo came to see it and he left me literally one of the nicest critiques and letters I've ever had in my whole entire life because he was like, you are very good at this. You Keep better pursue it. this. Keep yeah. doing this. You have all those doubts when you're young and unsure of whether or not this is the right oh, path for you and everything else. He is so positive in everything yeah. he does and says. And on Facebook, it's just a delight. I love but how I ran across him 38 years later is just nuts. Yeah. Then, then I found out, oh, well, everybody knows him. But I hadn't yeah. seen him since I was 26. Eight years old. It was 25 years ago for me that I worked with, or 26 years ago for me that I worked with Jim Rambo on The Fantastics. But yeah, we did this production of The Fantastics at the Waco Hippodrome Theater. It was my first professional gig as an actor. I got paid Derek, $400. you didn't sing, did you? No, I didn't. Mm -mm. Okay. Mortimer doesn't sing. Mortimer's a mute. 
And he has That's three lines. Right. That's right. And, in the, and then he has one point where he walks on stage <laughs> and he goes, Beyond that road, laws an episode, an episode, an episode. <laughs> it, it was a talking. You could talk your way through it. As I said, that was my first professional gig as an actor. The first time I actually made money as an actor. And I think for the whole run, I made $400. Money. It was also yeah. validation. And it was hugely influential in my life moving forward. That's crazy that, that Jim Rambo was that person for you. Now, I want to ask you guys something. Yes. Did you audition for a different role than what you ended up playing in Friday Night Live? I did not. I auditioned for Billy 100%. And I've spoken about this before. They originally weren't sure if they wanted Billy to be a brother <laughs> or a father. So I was in there oh, auditioning yes. with a bunch of guys, all different ages, oh. were guys in their 50s and 40s. And then there were guys my age. And as it turned out, I think I was what they were looking for and maybe just different enough from the film and from Tim McGraw. That Plus you were authentically Texan. Well, from Miami. But he went to Baylor. Don't tell anybody on this podcast. <laughs> that four years that I spent at Baylor, I think, helped tremendously because it made me oh yeah you, I, know I, what they, you know what they sound like and they look like and how they act there were these <laughs> bumper stickers back in the day i don't know if they still have them but it was like i was born wherever but i got to texas as soon as i can or something right exactly like that. that's my statement yeah. yes i'm asking because i auditioned for buddy's wife oh wow i didn't know Whoa. that yes that was going to be my next question is what yeah. was your audition experience yeah. on friday night well Christ? we were in that tiny room that sometimes yeah. beth would stick us in and peter mm-hmm. peter was there Mm-hmm. So Peter and I are two feet away from each other. And I do the scene in the kitchen where she's cooking dinner and dealing with the, you know, our family members. And Pete goes, wow, that is some terrific journeyman work. And I said, well, thanks so much. And he said, thank you. Bye. And I'm waiting and waiting to hear something because I know I had a great audition. And you, you know yeah. when you do, you know, yeah. and you know when yeah. you don't, right? Finally, I called my agent three weeks later. And I said, wow. I know I had a great audition. Did they not call you and tell you that they were interested? And she said, oh, my God, didn't I tell you? Pete's in L.A. right now trying to convince the suits to make you the mayor. How did they not tell they you that? that? Well, that's why I'm not in my agency anymore. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons. Didn't I tell but, you? Uh, yeah. Yes, slipped their mind somehow. So you yeah. never actually auditioned ever for Mayor Rodell. It just, you went, no. you went in for Pam no, Garrity, I, and then they were like, you know what? We see her as this. Yeah, well, I had heard that the mayor was a short, balding Hispanic male. Yeah, I matched the role. <laughs> I didn't find out why he cast me as Rodell until the final shoot of the first season when we were all at the Texas Stadium. It was the final game of the season of season one. So everybody was there and we were in that big stadium. Mm-hmm. And somehow or another, I fell asleep in the stands the <laughs> late afternoon and I hear over the loudspeaker, should we wake Mayor Rodell up and tell her we're done shooting? <laughs> I look around and I am the only person in that stadium. Oh no. Oh, no. Hundreds of people have already left. <laughs> Including all of the cast members that were around me, you know, and I am the only one in the stadium. So they, so Peter says, "Come on down to the field. Let's talk for a minute." That's when he told me, "I hired you because you reminded me so much of Ann Richards." I knew that's what you were going to say. I knew you it. Really? Yes. yes. And I just beamed all over because she's my hero. I love uh, her. I am exactly like Ann Richards. I uh, knew it. In fact, the reason I couldn't run for office, which is what I really wanted to do, was because I had too many skeletons in my closet. I had a <laughs> lot of fun in the 80s, you know. And so, uh, so as she, but she managed to deal with that skeleton in closet business by coming out and saying, hey, I'm 
been clean and sober for a long time. Yeah. You know? And then you probably know that I went on to play in. Yeah. Come on now, Libby. Don't you okay. think we, we've got a little bit of you, going you've on You've done here. a little bit of homework, have you? A little bit of homework. Yeah. Well, did you either one of you come and see me at the Zach? We did not. I live in Los Angeles. It was hard to do. Yeah, and I live in New York, but we'll talk about it. We have questions for it later, but the amount of people who told me I had to see you in this show, like my dad and Wendy Welch and Bob Hess and all these people, like, <laughs> I hear you, and I desperately was see, seeing pictures of you. You look just like her. It's I insane. do look just like her. And now that I've got this new hair, I look even more like her. This is thanks to chemo. Oh. You know, I've always been a blonde with straight hair, and so I had a round of chemo and I was doing Ann. I had it when I had Ann at the Zach and in Dallas at the Dallas Theater Center. And I was getting weaker and weaker. But I just figured it's because I've been doing Ann for six months. It's a two-hour show. But yeah, so anyway, I got diagnosed in February of 2020 and then the pandemic hit. But I had gigs lined up and hopefully still do at the Laguna Playhouse and then Cambridge at the Nora Theater and in Fayetteville, Arkansas, San Antonio. And they're still in the works, hopefully. But the pandemic shut every theater down. Yeah. You know. How are you feeling real quick before we move on? Oh, I'm great. I, I'm I'm all well. I'm well as hell. Last year Oof. was a rough year. But when my hair grew up from chemo, I got silver hair all curly. Yeah. Well, okay. We can do Anne without a wig. You know? Exactly. It, it kind of looks yeah, so I'm well as hell. That's awesome. I'm one pretty tough broad, you know. So. <laughs> this, this is true. So here's a question for you. You'd worked on a lot of stuff before Friday Night Lights. How different was the shooting process on Friday Night Lights compared to other projects that you had worked on? Well, with the three cameras, I found yeah. out real quick, you can't pick your nose when you think you're not. <laughs> yes. you know? <laughs> so that was quite different. You just need to be aware that cameras could be on you at any moment. Yeah. But at the same time, forget about that. You yeah. can't be thinking. That's true. Oh, where's the camera now? Or you just get caught up in that crap. And being the mayor and constantly being in the audience of the football, in the crowd, you know it's going to come on you at some point or another. You know, I knew Buddy very well. When I found out that Mark Orstone, who was your dad, Stacy, <laughs> I felt at home. Of course, I knew Liz yeah. quite well. Yeah. So I felt really at home. And people there made me feel really at home. They seemed to love me. In fact, everybody, the crew, everybody loved the character. Because yeah. you never knew what she was going to do or say. Hell, I never knew what she was going to do or say half the time till I got the script. Yeah. I loved every minute of it. But she was the protagonist for a long time, Rodell. And then they found other protagonists. And so I sort of peeked out. But then I was doing Boyhood. So, no, that was okay. Also, I want to remind you do you remember? Derek, I think it was this season, the third season, and it was that game where you stand with your family members. So most people were standing with their parents, but Taylor was standing with you. Yeah. And so the mayor was getting pictures of the couples on the field, and the press was there, and they were interviewing the mayor and so forth. So then it was you and Taylor's turn, and I get in between you, and I've got my arms around both of you, and I say, listen, boys, my girlfriend and I are into mixing it up. Everyone... <laughs> So why don't you let us know if you're interested? I love it. Yes, I and do. And you died laughing. Do you remember that? I do remember this. And yes. And Taylor turned every shade of red. <laughs> Listen, it's hard to break Taylor Kitsch. That's impressive. <laughs>
In the course of this show, you said you didn't have a lot of info going in and you didn't know a lot about what they were going to throw at us on any given day. Well, that was something too. We'll get to that other question in a second. But one of the questions, or not even a question, but just an observation that I had as an actor doing this show as well, was that with those three cameras rolling at all times, I think sometimes we have a tendency as actors to be a little bit vain and worry about the way we look and blah, 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 blah. But when you've got three cameras going, it's like, what's my good side? Like, you can't (laughs) worry about what a good side. I never ask myself what's my good side. (laughs) No. I don't do that crap either, but I know actors that do. Yeah. But I think people have a tendency to get a little vain. And it's like, that was one of the things that was really wonderful about Friday Night Lights. It's like, look, man, vanity's out though. You know, yeah. you're shooting on 16 millimeter. It's grainy. It's natural lighting everywhere you go. Like, this is not going to be flattering. It's about the performance. Don't yeah. worry about all that other crap. But going back to what we were talking about earlier about how Friday Night Lights threw curveballs at you on a regular basis. One of the things, I mean, this was one that I was blown away with. Uh, season I become one, a ep- Republican le- lesbian. Yes, season one, episode 13. <laughs> We find out that Mayor Rodell is a lesbian. I was like, oh, I did not know that. Neither did, did Mayor that? Rodell. <laughs> that was going to be my question. Did you have any idea that was coming? No, no not until you read uh, the script. In fact, my agent scanned the script and she said, you got some really interesting stuff coming to you. <laughs> but I don't want to tell you what it is. You need to read the script yourself. So I did and I was blown away because yeah. I'm certain I'm a Republican. So I get to the set. I'm coming out of the makeup trailer and everybody's, we're all kind of chattering about it. And I'm coming out of the makeup there, and Gregory comes up to me and says, so what do you think about your new stuff? I said, well, it's going to be a real stretch to play a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> and he died laughing, of course. And he said, I said, I know a lot of lesbians. Dear friends are lesbians, but I don't know any. I don't, know. I don't hang out with Republicans, <laughs> so I don't know how they behave. <laughs> stretch those acting muscles. <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot and lots of fun to be that person. But you know, she never came up hardly ever again. I saw some hate mail on on different places. Yeah, IMDb. Uh, you know, people hmm. commented, and then can't remember where else I saw them. But people were saying, "This is a family show, and oh, if gosh. you don't get that bitch off of here, my children are not going to be allowed to see this." Blah blah blah. And I mentioned it to Buddy, and he said, oh, don't worry about it. That won't affect them at all. It, it may yeah. have. I don't know. I'd be curious to ask either. them, Jason or, or Gregory, at this point in time. But I have no idea if it had anything to do with it I mean, I know in later seasons, there was uh, Devin, who we're actually, yeah, we've actually already met at this Devin's point gay. in time on the show. But like Devin is a lesbian. And then we'll have a football coach later that's gay. But once again, it's one of these things where they bring it up and then they just never really talk about it. Again. I mean, this show is also 15 years old now. Well, Elise Lester is a Houston actor. She played my girlfriend. And I love their banter about, oh, our relatives just, they're all Texas Democrats. And we shock them. And they were trying to shock the coach and Tammy. But anyway, she showed up two seasons later as some lawyer. Huh. And I pointed it out to her, I said, do you know that that's the actress of my girlfriend? And they all went, Oh, God, no. Well, we didn't know. No. Well, we better, you know, and I don't know. if. And then we just said, well, all right. So she's an attorney. She yeah, was she an attorney. attorney. And, you know, she you're trying to say that attorney. lesbians can't be attorneys, Libby. Is that what you're uh, trying to say? Lesbians can be anything they want to. <laughs> from me. I also had a girlfriend, Patty Newton. I bet you know her. I mean, she's a filmmaker here in Texas. She told me that I was the first lesbian on a national network show. I mean, it's definitely possible. Ellen was before me. Yeah. I can't remember if Ellen had come out on TV. I know she had him in real life at that point, but I don't think she'd come out on TV. But it is something, I mean, look, it's kind of like the stock market. Things are always going up, but they have a tendency to go up and down in the process. And I feel like we may be in one of those downward spirals at this moment, but I have 
faith and I'm positive that one of these days it will continue to keep me. What else can you do? Progress. You know, that's how I try to look at progress. And I hope that that's the case. I could be wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. But yeah, I mean, 15 years ago, it was just something you didn't talk about. Friday Night Lights in some respects is a little ahead of its time. It was a little bit ahead of its time in terms of reality, too, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Because that could easily be the case. She wouldn't have come out to the coach, probably, but she wanted them to know because she knew she was going to have dealings with them. But, you know, occasionally... Kyle and Brad would joke about, you know, she plays for the team now. In fact, at some point, Brad had mentioned, you know, Mary and Rodell and I go back way back and we used to be an item, but she plays for the other team now. I think that's included in some episode. I don't Yeah, it might be. I you like the buddy. relationship with you and Buddy. Yeah. The mayor and Buddy, they are in cahoots. Yeah. They are definitely in cahoots. There's always some kind of evil machinations going on with you. <laughs> yeah, but he always acts like the innocent, you know. I, yes. you know, like in yes. uh, Tammy Knows Best. Yeah. I'm chewing her ass out in her office and telling, basically threatening her. Yes. You know, not so subtly, even. And he's just laying back there going, <laughs> Oh, is she talking something bad? Oh, what did she? Oh, Never he has ever. nothing to do with what I'm saying. Yeah, and the first season after they get like busted for like a recruiting violation with voodoo, he's like, I, I don't know. I'm, Eric, you, you, and, <laughs> totally throwing coach Taylor under the bus. That's buddy's MO. So let's talk about Ann Richards real quick, because I know Stacy wanted to talk about it. I definitely want to talk about it. Everybody that we have in common was talking about it for months. Like I cannot tell you how many people said amazing things about it. How did it happen? Like I know Holland Taylor did it first. How did it come to you and then become a touring sensation? That's, that's also a lovely show. You know, I have a lot of serendipity in my life. Sometimes I'm able to manifest my destiny. I've manifested living on this lake for 37 years now, and I manifested what happened with Anne. I'm just certain of it. And I'm not bragging about it because I try to manifest all kinds of things. But if they're <laughs> meant to be, they're meant, and I knew yeah. it was meant to be. So yeah. Stage Rest did it first, and they had indicated to me that I was IT it for the role. And so I auditioned, and I thought, well, why am I auditioning? Well, those are rules. Those are union rules. you got to open the auditions up to everybody. And then I got a call back, and I thought, why are we having a call back? <laughs> and then I didn't get it. And then I talked to, I'm not going to name any names, but then I talked to him, and I said, I need to know. I'm fixing to hit the road, and I need to know whether you need me in or not. And she said, well, we're really struggling with this decision between two people. And I'm like, well, you need to make it. And they tell somebody else. So I was absolutely stunned. And I just said, well, this is not going to stand. I'm going to do this role. I'm so sorry I didn't get to do it in my hometown. But I'm doing it. And then I got to do it in Shreveport five months later. Because my girlfriend who had been cast in it, Sharon Garrison, she called me and said she had some real trials and tribulations going on at the time in her personal life. And she called me and said, you need to do this for me. I need to turn this role over. I said, when is it? And she said, in two and a half weeks. There's no way. I said, no. And the next morning I got up and I said, I got to do it. Now, so I did it. I'm assuming everyone knows who Ann Richards is, but for those of you who don't, she was the 45th governor of Texas, Democratic governor in Texas. I think she might have been the last Democratic governor in Texas. And I mean, just a firecracker of a person. Libby could tell you more about her than I could, but there's a wonderful documentary about her, too, that came out. A feminist, the very first feminist. Yeah. Yes, and Wendy Davis is the other feminist that really rings a bell in Texas. I worked on her campaigns, so she was my hero. I went to every march she called when she would say, this is a call to action for abortion rights for the ERA. I was down in Austin marching with her. So I knew her in and out. And also, like I said, 
I am her in and out. Mm-hmm. To make a long story a little bit shorter, I got to do it at Sonoma. I went and looked at who had the rights to this play. Sonoma did. Sonoma Live is what they're called. And I wrote him a letter and I said, I'm your Anne. If you oh haven't finished it yet. And they said, well, we're just doing a reading of it. And I said, well, this is Libby Bellari. I'm your Anne. And she goes, the Libby Bellari from Friday Night Lights? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, my God, we just binged that show. You must be this person. So they paid me a ton of money to come to oh Sonoma and do it. And that's when Holland Taylor called me when I was under her support. Out of the blue, she calls me on my cell phone. She said, this is Holland Taylor. What? Oh, you're messing with me. I think it was some friend, you know. And she said, no, this is Holland Taylor. And I understand you did my play and you didn't know all the lines. And I'm like, What? And she said, you did it in uh, Shreveport, right? And you had two weeks to learn it. And I said, that's right. And she said, well, you can't possibly learn all those lines in two weeks. So you must have done it wrong. Holy cow. Okay, well, you're probably right. But I'm fixing to do it again. So I did it in the point and down in Kerrville. And that's when she and I became best friends. And we have been best friends since. She has decided that I am the person who should pick up the torch and carry it forward. I was at her opening when she did it at Pasadena Playhouse. Did mm-hmm. you see that by any chance? I did not, no. In March, that was her last hurrah. She's never been with me again. She's pushing 80. And it takes so much out of you. If you have eight shows a week, you can't do anything else. I worked no, out. No, I don't, I don't know. I had some meals and I went to the theater. Yeah, it's two hours of straight one woman show. I did Hamlet when I was... 19, 20 years yeah. old. Yeah. And I remember the first night we had like a, an opening night party and I went for like five minutes and I was like, I got to go home. Oh, yes. Exhausting. Exactly. You could. Yeah, I miss a lot of that. It's a lonely thing. So Holland, they had wanted Holland to bring it back to the Zach. You can see the show on PBS streaming. And they filmed it at the Zach Theater in Austin three years before I did it there. And so they wanted Holland to come back. And she said, there's no way I'm coming to Austin in July. <laughs> to do Anne again. You know, I've already done that. She said, Libby Bellar is your gal. Well, I'd already told them that eight months earlier when I saw that they had it in their season. I just tell everybody, I'm your gal. If you're doing it, it's yeah. me, you know? And so they poo-pooed me, you know? And then they said, finally, they said, well, we're looking for somebody famous. And I said, well, I'm pretty famous in Texas. I may not yeah. be famous anywhere else, but I'm pretty famous in Texas. And then Holland tells them, you got to use Libby. I'm not coming. Libby is like it. So I got to have her Broadway set, her oh, Broadway, wow. her Broadway director, her Broadway stage manager. Oh wow! All of the designers that were her Broadway people. What an experience! Yeah, I did several shows to raise money for Beto in 2018. So I got to know lots of Democrats who'd never seen me. They knew me from Friday Night Lights and Boyhood, but they'd never seen me on stage. And so they would spread the word how fantastic I was. Well, I did it at my church, which is Unity of Fort Worth. They're a hippie church. They have a liberal point of view, let me put it that mm-hmm. way. And her Broadway stage manager came to see. And he rushed up to me. I came down into the audience because so many of my friends were there. And it was a full house. And that was the last thing I was doing for Beto. And came down into the audience. And he rushed up to me before anyone else could get to me. And he leaned in and he said, I'm Alan Taylor's stage manager, Broadway stage manager. And I said, oh, what are you doing here? And he said, she sent me. To see if you were really as terrific as all of your reviews say. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, I'm going back to tell her you are the one. And that's how she knew to give me the Zach. And then she was responsible for the Dallas Theater Center. That's awesome. You know, I'm the only one who has her new script. 
She mm-hmm. just sent it to me. It's just got a few additions. You know, it's not actually yeah, yeah. in the script, but it's not published yet. I'm doing it in New Braunfels. Let's put this out there. Awesome. New Braunfels, Brontex Theater on November 10th. Awesome. One show only. And then I think next year I'll be at Laguna and Cambridge, et cetera. Well, I hope so, because I really want a chance to see it. I'm so sorry to do this, but thank you so much for coming on. We got to right. we got to end this interview. You got to plug Yellow Rose. Everybody see Yellow Rose. It's streaming everywhere. It's a fantastic okay. film. At the, uh, wherever the, you guys were doing kick-ass Western dance. Broken Spoke. Oh, at the Broken Spoke. Oh, yeah. Yes, filmed it there. Watch it. Definitely. Yes, everyone check out Yellow Rose. Where is Yellow Rose? It's streaming on Voodoo and Hulu and maybe not Netflix. I would say probably Amazon. You know, where is it streaming? It's fantastic. E.T. listed it as one of the top 10 films of 2017. And we won every award that uh, independent films can make. I love it. I love it. Libby, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show with us today. Guys, that is it for Season 3, Episode 9. But join us next time for Season 3, Episode 10, entitled The Giving Tree. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't move. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.